Welcome to Stuff You Missed in History Class from HowStuffWorks.com. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm editor Candace Gibson, joined by staff writer Jane McGrath. Hey there. Jane, Erin O'Brien, one of our listeners, wrote to us asking for a podcast about South American history. She says we talk a lot about American and European history, and she wants to know some juicy dictator stories. Oh, and there are a lot. There are a lot. We kind of have some juicy stuff for you today. It's not necessarily about a dictator per se, but it is about a body, a very, very famous body that got shuffled around South America and parts of Europe before it was finally buried. That's right. I didn't know about this story until we started researching for the podcast, and it's really fascinating. It is. Um, doubtlessly, you guys have heard of Ava Peron or Evita. And if you're like me, you sat through the musical Evita starring Madonna about uh, 50 times because it's just so great. And in her her real life, there weren't any um, loud musical numbers from the, the Casa Rosada that I know of. I know she addressed <laughs> people from the balcony. I don't think she threw up her hands and sang. But she did take the very famous Rainbow Tour. And yes, there was couture clothing and lots of jewels and furs on it. So I'm very excited to tell you about that. But first, some background. Um, that's right. I didn't know much about Eva Perón before doing this, but uh, she was a really fascinating figure. She was born in rural Argentina, and she really had to struggle because she was the youngest of five, um, born out of wedlock because her father had another family, and father left her mother after Eva was born, and she struggled. And by the time she was a teenager, she she had been idolizing American movie stars, and, and she wanted to enter the show business, so she left for Buenos Aires, and she started a career in show business, where is she met Juan Perón, who was bound for great things in Argentina. He was. He won the presidency in 1946, and Eva was given control of the Ministry of Labor. And, you know, it's funny, you can say what you want about Eva Perón, because I think that she is a very controversial figure, mm-hmm. and to... Um, to reference the movie one more time, when the film and the crew were, were filming scenes for Evita in Argentina, they met a lot of opposition from local people who were worried that their idea and the image of Evita would be desecrated, that she would be portrayed in a very negative light. And I think that there are ways to honor the good things she did and still juxtapose those with the sort of the seedy things that were happening under the surface. So she did want to work for the Ministry of Labor, and perhaps this was due in part to the fact that the Duarte family had lived in such poverty. And I think that she did have really good intentions for the poor people of Argentina, and she advocated things for, like, higher wages and Mm -hmm. voting rights for women and also government-subsidized housing for the poor. And it's important to know that at this time... Argentina had had a great influx of wealth because after World War II, a lot of the war-torn European nations, they couldn't create their own crops, they couldn't grow their own wheat, uh, things like cattle and beef and their livestock was down. So they had to import a lot of these things from Argentina. So Argentina hiked up export prices and taxes and was able to generate a lot of money for its own economy. So finally, under the Peron administration, they were in a position to dole it out and use it Properly, That's true. And uh, speaking of World War II, um, the whole political atmosphere at that time was very much influenced by um, the fascist dictatorships that were going that were had been going on in Europe at that time. Um, Juan Perón 
is kind of known for suppressing freedom of the press and freedom of speech during that time. But it was also things that, especially Ava, really um, latched onto, which were these issues of labor unions and stuff that that made her particularly popular with the people at the time. And you could say, like, she was even more than Princess Diana is in in England. Oh, that's a great comparison. Yeah, and they sort of say, uh, share um, the same sort of mythology, I guess, because they both died uh, rather young. So They did, and... Evita, the nickname Evita, comes from the group of people called Los Descomisados, which stands for uh, the shirtless ones. And the shirtless ones, uh, the Spanish term, had been used in a very derogatory manner to target people who were very poor and who lived in the slums of Argentina. But uh, the Peronists essentially turned the term on its head and started using it in a very affectionate way. And we saw, or not we because we weren't there, but history saw at this time Argentina sort of changed dramatically in a way because people would, you know, they would they would move to the cities and, and they would build it up and there was economy and there was industrial activity and things were flourishing and Evita was very happy because she'd been the mastermind behind all of this and she didn't let people forget. There were pictures of her plastered around mm. the city. She made sure that wherever she went, there was some sort of PR spokesperson with her. There was always someone taking pictures. She was very much in the public eye and yeah, I think and she I, enjoyed that. Yeah, I think she did. She was very sly in terms of the, her PR tactics because, as you said, she always had photographers around her and she was always doing like photo ops, basically doing charitable things. And speaking of charities, um, there was a lot of um, politics going on here among the traditional elite uh, and their conflicts with Eva at the time. The official uh, charity at the time was basically was called uh, Aid Society. And that's the translated translation into English. And she wanted to take charge of this, and the ba- the traditional elite did not want her to. Some say uh, it's because uh, she came from humble backgrounds and they weren't really receptive to her. Right. We can imagine that the women in the society were very elite. They were society sure. women, and they didn't want to associate with. Ava. That's right. And so she, not to be outdone, started the Ava Perone Foundation. And uh, this basically, using this, she ran the um, other official uh, charity under, to the ground because she cut off the, the government funding for it and she d- redirected it to her own charity. And she was able to fund schools and hospitals, which, you know, all these things, orphanages, houses for the elderly, gave her more photo ops and it made her like, you know, more of a public figure that people loved. People were very endeared to her mm-hmm. and it helps when you're in the public eye to have a certain um, appearance about you and she she had this sort of shellacked beauty you know with the the perfectly coiffed dyed blonde hair and the manicured nails and the flawless makeup and the couture and the furs and the jewels she was the whole package and Mm -hmm. we mentioned that because of the taxes and all the revenue that Argentina was generating they were able to uh disseminate a lot of that wealth to the poor, but a lot of it also went to Evita's closet, and she even went, like I said, on the Rainbow Tour, this was a, a meet-and-greet opportunity for her to go across Europe, and she met everyone from the, the Pope to General Franco, and she really created a splash, but in the end, it was her own undoing, because by 1951, when she was just about 33 years old, she became sick with uterine cancer, and she was bedridden. That's right, and it was about that same time that she got um, a nomination for vice president, which is testament to how popular she was. She was someone someone who had recently been championing women's suffrage, so I'm sure this is a huge um, step forward for that country, but uh, the army actually forced her to withdraw it. I'm not sure of the details behind that, but anyway, she was she was dying of cancer at this time when, um, when that happened. Happened and she knew it. And the people around her who knew she was dying knew how special she would be even after death. And so 
one of the finest pathologists at the time, Dr. Pedro Ara, he was summoned and he was going to uh, have a very extensive embalming process of Eva's body. And so he began to prepare all of his materials and assemble all the supplies that he would need. And her hair was dyed one last time and her manicurist did her nails one last time. And then her body lay in state. She officially died on July 26, 1952 at 8.25 p.m. And her body lay in state at the Ministry of Labor. And people lined up for days and days and days, 13 days to be exact, to come and pay homage to Avida until finally Dr. R got a little bit worried that they were going to soil or irreparably damage her body, so she was taken away and preparations were begun for the embalming process. That's right, and although he had done some work before she was laid out and displayed, he continued the work after the display uh, for several more months, and um, he was known, he was a famous embalmer at the time, which is interesting to me, I don't know how famous you can be as an embalmer, <laughs> but um, uh, he, f- as far as I could tell, he never really divulged his complete details of the process of his embalming, yeah. but I did hear that he, um, he replaced her fluids with, uh, wax. And it's interesting, I don't know, working here, I've learned a lot more about the embalming process than I ever <laughs> wanted to know, which is zero. But, um, but I've never heard of that before, and I guess it worked, because to this day, uh, people say that her body is still intact. Isn't that wild? Yeah. And it took about a year for him to complete the process, and we're not sure exactly about the cost of it, but estimates are around $100,000. That's a lot. I mean, you think about the average cost of a funeral today, and that's just for the embalming process. We're not talking Mm -hmm. about her casket or the monument that was built for her. And this is where the story takes a really, really juicy turn. That's right. We're not over just because she died. (laughs) No, (laughs) no. We've just begun, y'all. The Peron government was on the verge of collapse because the food supplies had started to dwindle, And because there weren't a lot of um, grain crops left, it was affecting the cattle crops. And so they didn't really have anything to trade. They couldn't get coal and oil. So everything was just all going to heck. And um, we had mentioned earlier that a lot of people had moved into the cities and things were industrious and they were booming. Well, now those areas were turning into slums. Unemployment was up. And it was just a mess. Yeah, and add that to the fact that Ava just died. And and so Juan was not quite as popular as he had been. No. So it, uh, the whole environment in Argentina was ripe for a coup, and that happened in 1955. Peron was overthrown, and he was exiled to Spain. But the coup leaders knew that if the Peronists had Eva's body, they could use that as a bargaining chip and show it off, you know, to her loyal supporters to rally the masses. Back. Yeah, yeah. Sure. Yeah, sort of a a real Snow White situation. They had this beautiful woman in in a glass coffin. And, you know, you show it to someone. You have a strong emotional attachment to them. You're not going to forget that you are still loyal to her husband. Mm -hmm. So they decided they were going to hide the body. That's right. And so they actually made even decoy bodies of Ava. Some, I believe, were complete replicas of her body made of wax uh, to throw people off. And they they sent decoy bodies to to different places. But they sent the real body uh, to an undisclosed uh, burial location in Italy. And they used a fake name on the gravesite. So and and even before this, even yeah. before she got to Italy, there was some rigmarole in Argentina where the coup leaders tried to bury her in an unmarked grave plot, and the guy who was right. responsible for that mm. he got kind of creeped out because some somewhat superstitious stuff started happening, and so he stashed the body in an attic, and then it was discovered, and then she eventually got shipped off to Italy. That's right, and. Um, so she was in Italy for a long time, and uh, Juan Perón at that time was living in exile in Madrid. He finally, they finally allowed them to turn over the body to Juan Perón 
in uh, Spain at the time. And so he kept it there for a little while. And when there was another uh, military overthrow um, transition, they actually brought Juan Perón back to the presidency again in Argentina. And um, by this time, they, they actually left Eva's body there at first. And um, so... Juan Perón is back in the presidency, but he soon dies. He actually doesn't last very long, <laughs> less than a year, I believe. And um, meantime, he's married again. His wife, Isabella, or Isabel, and I forget, um, I've actually seen both ways. His wife at the time takes over, which is, um, it's kind of controversial. She's not incredibly popular. And so in sort of a last-ditch effort to win back the people's praise and, and their favor, she actually has Ava's body shipped back to Argentina, where it belongs, and put it next to um, her husband, Juan Perón's body, in the presidential palace. That's a way to get some clout. True. And if you guys have been keeping track of the timeline here, we know that Perón came back to Argentina in 71, and I think he died around 74 or so, so Ava's body has been unburied for, what, 24 years at this point yeah, in time? Yeah, that's a good point. So she's in state, and then finally it is time to bury her. And we want to do this right, you know. So they commission a company that manufactures bank vaults to in- to create this incredibly intricate, incredibly, like, bomb-proof, fire-proof, whatever-proof coffin for Ava. And she's taken to the Duarte family tomb in Buenos Aires, and she's buried there about 20 feet underground, and her sister was given the only key to the tomb, mm. and um, supposedly it was sort of decked to the nines with security, and it's completely burglary-proof, etc. And as far as we know, it's still undisturbed. However, Juan Perón was not so lucky. Even though his was uh, made with bulletproof glass, thieves got in, and they were able to cut off his hands. Oh, that's disgusting. Yeah. And it was a real scandal trying to track down who had what information about that crime. And a lot of people died suspiciously. So I'm not sure that that is a, a solved case yet. That's true. And people are still pretty preoccupied, um, very attracted to the to the um, allure of Eva's body to this day. In the 1990s, uh, this author named Thomas Elroy Martinez actually wrote a book named Santa Evita. And uh, he was able to get a lot of research from military informants who who had contact with Juan Perón when he was living in Spain, etc. And so he actually wrote a novel, not not a history book, but a novel about it, because he said that the the information that he found was so incredible that it needed to be told, uh, the truth needed to be told in novel form. So when if you go look up this uh, book, take everything with a grain of salt. But he does describe um, very detailed accounts of of Juan keeping the corpse when he was living in Madrid, at least keeping the corpse in an open casket in his dining room and Isabel his his new wife had been uh combing his her hair daily wow yeah very odd pretty wild <laughs> but pe- but it just goes to show like people want to buy this novel people want to read more about this <laughs> this dead body you I know? kind of do too not really? necessarily because I'm obsessed with, with Ava and her dead body but that's the great thing about history is so much of it and we've made this comment before Jane a lot of the topics we've talked about they sound like they're made for the movies or they're, they're made for fiction and you know if it's true that there is nothing new under the sun then I'm sure we'll hear another story like this again another day but mm-hmm. for now Miss Erin O'Brien that is your juicy South American scoop, and I hope it was juicy enough for you. It certainly was for me and for Jane as well. And in the interim, for more South American history and dictator stories, be sure to check out HowStuffWorks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. Let us know what you think. Send an email to podcast at HowStuffWorks.com. 